Turn in your Bibles back to Exodus chapter 20, if you would please, as we get back into our series on the Ten Commandments this morning. Uh, if you would pray for me this morning uh, with the changing weather over the weekend. Yesterday I began to lose my voice, so I hope I can make it through the message this morning without my voice giving out, but maybe some of you would prefer it would give out. Hey, we'd get out earlier, right? But... Uh, Find Exodus 20 in your copy of the Scripture, and we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment this morning, and I've titled it, What is Mine is Mine, and What is Yours is Mine. That seems to be the philosophy of many in society uh, today, unfortunately. Now, what we're going to do this morning, rather than just simply reading verse 15, I want us to go back and read all of the Ten Commandments. Earl Holloman was telling me before the service uh, today that he was in a Bible conference and the speaker told the audience that as he had done, done surveys and traveled around America in conservative evangelical churches, he had discovered that only 26% of churchgoers are able uh, to list the Ten Commandments. So, you know, it doesn't hurt if we read them all again and keep reading them until we have them in our hearts and minds. So I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And I'm actually going to start in verse 24 of the previous chapter. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priest and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke to them all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son or daughter nor your male or female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Lord, speak to your people this morning. As the Lord Jesus said in the book of Revelation, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. God, may that be the case today. Give us hearts and minds and ears to hear your words to us. Because in your words, we find life because they point us to your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. In his book on the Ten Commandments, Cecil Myers describes a picture that is like one that you may have seen before in a Norman Rockwell painting. I'm going to ask him to put the painting up on the screen. This comes from October of 1936 of the Saturday Evening Post. This has gone down in history as a classic magazine cover. This sweet little lady, well-dressed lady with this dashing hat has gone to the market to buy a fresh turkey for her family at Thanksgiving. Some of you may remember going to old-fashioned markets like this. And I want you to look closer to what's going on in this picture because I want you to notice what the butcher and the lady are doing. You'll see the butcher with his finger on the scale pushing down. And while he's pushing down, what's the lady doing? She's got her finger on the scale and she's pushing up. The reason both of them seem so pleased is evidently they believe that the other one cannot see what they are secretly doing. But folks, what neither party may realize, if these were real life characters, what neither party realizes is that they are breaking the Eighth Commandment. They're stealing. Now, it may be only by a very small margin, maybe only since... But still, the fact remains, they are trying to steal. The butcher is trying to get more from this woman for his business. And the lady is trying to be able to pay less. If you were to accuse either one of them of being a robber, they would be incensed. I'm sure the butcher would never rob a bank. The sweet little old lady would never steal an automobile. If someone stole against them, what would they do? They would call the police, fill out a police report, and if the person was caught, they would probably press charges. And yet, sadly, neither one seems to realize what they are doing is also stealing. It's interesting when you look at the Decalogue how the first section holds together. And points us to our relationship with God. The second half hangs together. And points us to our relationship with one another. 
And when you look at this last section of the Ten Commandments, we see that what God is doing is protecting things that are necessary for community life. Things like life itself, marriage, family, and the right of property. All of these are basic building blocks in society. A magazine report told of one New York City hotel that during the first 10 months of operation, it had the following disappear. 38,000 spoons. Who steals spoons from a hotel? 18,000 towels. 355 silver coffee pots. 1,500 silver finger bowls and 100 Bibles. But folks, nobody gets away with stealing. We may get away with it with one another, but God sees everything. He is a sovereign God. He is a providential God. And everything that we do as individuals and a body, God sees and God knows all about it. We don't get away with anything. Unfortunately, the motto of today does seem to be, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. But we're going to learn differently in this commandment today. We're going to see that we are to respect the property of others. And even more than that, we're going to see on the positive side that we are to have faith in God and trust God that whatever we need, God is going to provide for His children. We don't have to take matters into our own hands and take what doesn't belong to us. We can trust God to provide for us. Now the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the obvious theft that comes to mind. All around us today we hear of theft. Almost daily on the internet you probably read of stories that have to do with some type of theft going on. We hear so much of it today we've almost become numb to it. I'll never forget about 20 years ago in the Charlotte metro area a story that is now known in the criminal books as the hillbilly heist. The hillbilly heist. Because all of the perpetrators came from small country towns surrounding Charlotte. You see one of them worked for the Loomis armored car business. And that night, he was, uh, he was working all night shift. He sent everybody else home and he invited friends in and they made off with more than $17 million in cash. The second largest steal of cash to that time. And they made a pact with one another that they were going to maintain their normal spending patterns for a couple of years so that authorities would not be tipped off. Because after all, they were all blue-collar workers and, and all of a sudden if they started spending lavishly, authorities would know something was up. And so they purposely decided they were going to maintain their spending habits. But you know something? The temptation became too great for them. And they started spending lavishly. 
buying luxury items, expensive cars and furs and jewelry. They even bought a million-dollar mansion in a gated community in Gaston County on top of Kramer Mountain. Now, in all, eight individuals have been indicted. They've served their prison terms now. And, and again, it's come down in history known as the hillbilly heist. It was such a big deal, it made shows on television like America's Most Wanted and the FBI Files. You may have heard about it. Well, on a smaller degree, you and I have probably witnessed theft all around us. Well, God speaks here and in other places in His Word about the right of people to own property. Now, we know that ultimately God owns it all. The Bible says God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That's, that's the, uh, the Lord's way of saying He owns it all. Everything belongs to the Lord. And yet, He's given us the right of ownership, but we're to be good stewards in that ownership. Stealing is not only a sin against the person that you steal from, but it is also a sin against God. Now, unfortunately, not even houses of worship are immune today. I remember back in the days that John, John and Terry Gurley were cleaning the church and cleaning the CDC. One morning, about 3 or 4 in the morning, John went into the CDC and something tipped him off right away that somebody was in the building. Uh, there was a break-in. He called the police. And they brought a canine unit out. And they found one young teenager underneath Francis' desk. Francis was the director at the time. And, a, and another uh, perpetrator was a young teenager and was hiding in the closet in Sharon Marlowe's classroom. So, I mean, right here at church, we've experienced this commandment being broken. And folks, it's wrong to steal. God says here in the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. How many of you have ever been burglarized? How did it make you feel? A number of you. Made you feel violated, didn't it? Now, theft comes in so many shapes and forms. Anytime we take something that does not belong to us, that is stealing. A Sunday school teacher one time in the children's class was trying to teach her class more about this. And she said, boys and girls, what would you be or who would you be if you walked into a man's bedroom and up on his chest you took his wallet and you went through his wallet and you took out all of his cash? What would you be? Little Johnny raised his hand. He said, I know, teacher. And she said, okay, little Johnny, who would you be? She said, you'd be his wife. <laughs> <laughs> seriously though when we take what is not ours it's theft and have you ever noticed how sometimes people try to rationalize things but you know they charge too much for it but that doesn't matter it's still theft 
Back in the days of higher gas prices, you may remember before they were having people either pay at the pump or pay ahead of time. You remember what people were doing at gas pumps? They were pumping their tanks full, jumping in their cars and driving off. <laughs> you must have had it happen to you. <laughs> Please tell me it happened to you and you didn't do it. <laughs> People were putting hoses down in gas tanks and blowing on them and then sucking. And right as the gas was getting up at their lips, they would, they would put it into a, a gas can real quick and siphon gas that way. According to the Associated Press, in an RV park, Dennis Quigley had his RV parked in a, in a campground outside of Seattle, Washington. In the middle of the night, he heard some gentleman out screaming and yelling and thrashing around. He opened the door of his motor home. He went outside and looked and this guy was thrashing around on the ground and he was violently vomiting. You see, instead of sticking the hose pipe into the gas tank, he had put it into the sewage tank. <laughs> I guess you could say he got what he deserved and then more. Well, secondly, this morning, I want you to notice with me the obscure theft of which we tend to overlook. Now, I'm going to go to meddling here for a moment. Taxes. April 15th is coming. The tax man cometh. Somebody said if you're... If your boat ever comes in, the IRS is going to be there to help you unload it. <laughs> One man sent a note to the IRS and says, he said, My conscience has been bothering me. I've not paid all of my taxes. Here's $100. P.S. If my conscience continues to bother me, I'll send you the rest. That's not what we're to be like. Remember what Jesus said on one occasion? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. They were trying to trap Jesus. To get him to say that they didn't have to pay taxes. Had Jesus said that, they could have accused him before the Roman authorities. And Jesus didn't take the bait. He affirmed the right of government to charge taxes, but ultimately we're to give God what God is due, and that is our lives. Because the image of God is stamped on, if the image of God, I mean if the image of Caesar was stamped on the coins at that time, and so they would render to Caesar, Caesar the image of God is stamped on us. And so we are to render our hearts and lives to God. So government can charge taxes. 
Paul also said in Romans 13, and I want you to read it with me up there. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes for rulers or servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing, render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now, folks, there's nothing wrong with taking advantage of legal tax laws that allow you to take deductions. You you ought to be doing that. But if you're taking illegally from the government, that is still stealing. That is breaking the Eighth Commandment here. Tax evasion is stealing. Another way we may not think of oftentimes is related to change. The next one on the screen, change. Now, back up one. We'll get to cheating in a moment. But change. Giving and receiving of change. When you know the amount is wrong and you don't correct it if the incorrect amount is to your advantage. Have you ever been standing at a cashier and and she or he gives you too much money? And you look down at it and, and I'm not talking about if you don't count it out and you don't even realize what's happening. Obviously I'm not talking about honest oversight. But what I'm talking about is if you know you've been given too much change back. Do you sit there and think, well, if they were, if they were foolish enough to do this, I'm just going to take it. Or do you say, ma'am or sir, you've given me too much. And give back what you need to give back. What a powerful witness. I've I've been able to do that before. And the cashier would look at me and say, nobody does that. I've never had anybody do that. And then that gives you a chance to tell why. Thirdly, cheating. Cheating. Do you try to get what does not belong to you? That's what cheating is. Cheating is a form of theft. Cheating in school is stealing answers from somebody else. Trying to get by without paying something is also cheating and stealing. I remember a chance I had many years ago to teach Brian this lesson. We had, we had first come to the church here. He was, he was young. Now, folks, I want you to understand I had never been to a NASCAR race before. I didn't know what it was all about. I didn't know protocol. And, and some locals had told me, you want to go to the May race. The May race is the one to go to. But beware because it's long. And so I waited until after everything had started, all the events that day leading up to it had already passed, the race had already started, and Connie dropped Brian and myself off at the door, and we walked up there to the ticket booth, and when we got there to the ticket booth, the lady said, Sir, I I need to tell you, the cheapest tickets that I have left at this window is this amount. And these are very expensive. She said, but if you'll walk over to this ticket booth over here, that's on the side of our church here, if you'll walk around there, they have uh, some cheaper seats still left. 
And so I thanked her and I walked around there with Brian. And as I walked around this side of the speedway, like into the turn four area, I noticed they had a large gate open and people were just pouring in. And locals had told me, if you go late, they'll just let you in. All these people are walking in. I'm sitting there thinking, this must be what's going on here. So I fell in the crowd and I walked in, walked through the gate and walked in. And then I start thinking, you know, just, just something didn't feel right. And I took Brian and I walked back out and, and I went to a lady that was one of the security people at that gate. I said, ma'am, I'm new around here. I've never been to a race. I've had locals tell me after the race starts like this, uh, y'all just let people in. She looked at me and said, absolutely not. <laughs> she said, where did you get in? I said, right here. <laughs> Who was the guard at the gate? Uh, you were. <laughs> I said, I just walked in with about 500 other people. But I went back to the ticket booth, got tickets, and then walked back in. I hope that was a lesson to Brian. Do you cheat? If so, it's stealing. Fourth, plagiarism. This one applies to students and preachers, probably more than anybody else here this morning. <laughs> students may be tempted on papers to copy somebody else's work and not give them credit. That's stealing. And periodically, we'll hear in the news. It's happened a couple of times in the Charlotte area. In fact, it happened at at the most visible church in Charlotte as far as the church building and the campus. Probably best known church in Charlotte. It'll come out in the news. A pastor has gone online and he's just been downloading some other preacher's sermons and preaching those. I even heard of a preacher one time in the Charlotte metro area that the sermons he was downloading, if the preacher he was copying from said, this past Friday night my wife and I went to a restaurant and outside the parking lot of the restaurant there was a homeless guy laying there. He would give this illustration as though it happened to him. Plagiarism. It's stealing. It's cheating. And that's breaking this Eighth Commandment. Next on the list is borrowing and never returning. It's said one day that evangelist Charles Finney preached on the sin of borrowing things and not returning them. He said, when I went to my tool shed yesterday, I found it practically empty. Mr. Mahan, he started calling out names, Mr. Mahan has borrowed my plow and has never brought it back. Professor Morgan had sent for my spade, and I don't know where it is now. Deacon Beecher, you know, it's always the deacons. Deacon Beecher has one of my monkey wrenches, and he's had it for so long that human memory can't even, can't even recall. Well, they said the sermon was very effective. The next morning before dawn, one neighbor was trying to bring back a workhorse... And he had been chased out of the yard by Mr. Finney's dog. 
All the rest of the morning, there was a steady stream of people bringing items back. They said Finney ended up with some items that had not even been his. (laughs) How about tools? Have you borrowed and not returned? How about books? Dr. Willis, I've still got two of your books. I plan on... (laughs) Do you borrow, though, and not return? Next one, refusal to pay debts. Romans 13.8 says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Now, some people try to take that verse and make it say that no Christian should ever go into debt on anything. Well, many, many Bible scholars are pretty well agreed that's not what that verse is saying. Now, yes, it's true. The Bible warns against debt because the borrower is going to be a slave to the lender. And Christians are in way too much debt today. But what the verse is saying is not to let any outstanding debt remain except to love one another. In other words, pay your debts. Pay your debts. If you bought something, pay for it. I always thought that, you know, back in college days, it would have been fun as a young man to... To be one of these repo men going after fancy sports cars, I would have probably gotten shot. But man, it'd be fun to, to go and collect a Corvette or a Porsche or Ferrari or something like that. But again, if, if, if you buy things, know what your capabilities are. And when you buy something, pay your debts. But there's one debt, he says, that we never pay up. And what is that debt? To love one another. To love one another. Seventh, work-related theft. How about time? Your time at work. Getting by with as little time and effort as possible. There was a young man that went to look for a job at a place where they were not hiring. And the manager said to him, son, I'm sorry, we don't have work for you. There just isn't enough work to keep you busy. And the young man responded, sir, you say there's not enough work to keep me busy. You'd be amazed at what little it takes. (laughs) Unfortunately, that's the attitude of a lot of employees. How little can I work? What can I get by with? In Colossians 4, you know, Paul talks about the slaves and master relationship back then. And people apply that today to employers and employees. And Paul said, don't just work hard for those who are good. Don't just work hard for those who treat you well. But work hard for everybody, even those who don't treat you well. Be a good employee. How about social media? Somebody can say, Preacher, you're, you're meddling again this morning. 
Studies have been done that as much as one hour out of every workday, people are playing on their social media. One hour out of every day. They've, they figured out the major blocks of transgression are between 10 a.m. in the morning and 12 noon and 3 p.m. in the afternoon and 5 p.m. People are playing on their social media instead of doing their work. That's stealing. How about expense accounts? Padding expense accounts so you'll get bigger reimbursements. Exaggerating your mileage. So again, you'll get larger reimbursements than what is truly due back to you. Are you guilty of any of that? Taking office supplies home. Taking office supplies home to use personally or for your family. Charging customers too much. The books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy both condemn that and say it's an abomination to the Lord. In the book of Deuteronomy it says, You shall not have in your bag differing weights, a large and a small. And it goes on to talk about how people would cheat people with weights. And again, Moses says that's an abomination to the Lord. There's all kinds of business practices. Maybe putting cheap materials into something and yet charging the customer as though you've put the best material in. That's theft. How about white-collar crime? One American novelist, uh, Mario Puzo, said a dishonest lawyer with his briefcase can steal more than 100 masked gunmen. That's true, isn't it? Eighth, stealing somebody's dignity and innocence. Now, we know in a sense no one is innocent. David, King David said, I was conceived in iniquity. But you know what I'm talking about. Somebody's dignity and worth and, and innocence. And what, what I've got in mind is these sex traffickers and drug dealers who are taking even children now and utilizing them in that. Heinous crimes. We're told that the Charlotte metro area now is one of the leading areas in the entire nation in sex trafficking. That's stealing something from somebody, stealing something related to their personhood, their dignity. Withholding your life from God. God's given you your life. He's given you the very air you breathe. Now the lost man takes all of that from God and doesn't love God, doesn't serve God. But the Christian is to realize what? He's to realize that his life and his salvation comes from God. Everything he has comes from God. God's not only saved him, but God's gifted him and equipped him. And he ought to be using all of that to the glory of Jesus Christ. 
But some people are withholding that from God. God rightfully owns you. And by the way, you're also stealing from the church. Because think of it this way. We're told in the Bible that all of the gifts are not for ourselves. But we're to use them in the building up of the body of Christ. All of the parts of the body fit together. And so if you're withholding your life from, from God in terms of service... You're not only doing wrong to God, but you're doing wrong to the body of Christ. Next, lack of systematic giving to the Lord. Malachi 3 says, Will a man rob God, yet you're robbing me? But you say, How have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now in the Old Testament, it was called the tithe. The tithe is 10% of all we receive. We receive 100% from God and we're to give 10% back. Now I realize because some have asked me about, I realize there are voices out there today, people question whether tithing is for today. And I can't get into all the ins and outs on that. That's a sermon all in and of itself. But, but let me say this, most will say if anything a tithe ought to be the bare minimum of what we give. Because if the new covenant is greater than the old covenant in every way, then grace giving ought to be greater than giving under the law. Amen? Also, tithing predated the law by 400 years when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. Also, the Lord Jesus was asked about it on one occasion. The religious leaders, again, tried to trap him in Matthew 23. And he said, you know what? You tithe even out of your garden, but then you neglect love and justice and mercy, the weightier matters. And Jesus went on to say, you should have done the latter without neglecting the former. So that would have been a great place for Jesus to do away with tithing, but but he affirmed it. Again, let me say, it ought to be the least that we do in the church. Folks, sometimes I fear that in the church, we, we don't make a connect, because we don't see things happen overnight, we may not see what our giving accomplishes. I think of the child who comes up through Awana, then goes through youth and college, feels called into the ministry. Maybe feels called into full-time missions. We've got a young, single, professional man in our church right now, came up through our church, and, and he's talking, he's beginning talks with the International Mission Board. We've got another young man came up through our church, went to seminary. He's a church planter now in New York City. I remember the Sunday, Dathan and Amy Hall were sitting in the balcony up there. I gave the invitation. Amy comes down, gives her life to the Lord. I had them stand out there afterwards so you could go out there and greet them. Dathan was standing out there. I'd never met him before. But I could tell Dathan was as miserable as anybody. And I thought either he's angry at what his wife has done coming forward or he's under conviction. I thought, this is going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Well, I didn't have to wait long. He calls me that week and says, Sir, I'm the man whose wife came forward and made a profession of faith. I want you to know I should have gone down there too. And I've been miserable. 
Can you tell me how to be saved? And I had the opportunity of leading him to faith in Christ right there on the telephone. My point is this. In our systematic giving to the church. Just because we don't see things happen overnight doesn't mean that they're not happening. You know, Jesus said the way the kingdom of God grows, that it's quietly, you know, the seed's planted and, and at night, you know, it germinates and it comes up and, and bears fruit and, and it's happened before we even realize it. But it happens. Your giving counts. It matters. Now, in closing, I want to talk about quickly the overcoming of all theft. First of all, trust God. We don't have to take matters into our own hands. We can trust God to take care of us. Remember what David said in the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. Finish that with me. I shall not want. David realized God would take care of him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Don't be anxious for your life, what you're going to eat or drink or put on. The unbelievers are concerned about all these matters. But if God gave you your life, which is the greater thing, He's certainly going to give you the necessities of your life so you can trust God to take care of you. Let me just challenge you to do a quick review on your life, how God's already provided for you. It's like David said in Psalm 103, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. In other words, it's like David is saying, I want to count all of my blessings because when I count all of my blessings and name them one by one, I'm going to see what the Lord hath done. Count your blessings. See how, what God's already done for you and you'll see the way he can be depended on to look after you. Obey God. When we steal, we're not just doing a wrong to somebody. As I said before, we're disobeying God. Thirdly, work. Paul, writing to the Ephesians and the Thessalonians, said that everybody needs to learn some kind of work so they can support themselves and their families and would not even be tempted to steal. Learning a trade. Learning a career path is a great deterrent to the crime of stealing. Learn how to work and then work. And then finally, share. Learn to be a giver and not a taker. Have you noticed takers can be some of the most miserable people you'll ever meet? And yet givers are filled with joy. You know why? I think it's... We're imitating God, the greatest giver of all. For God so loved the world that He gave. When we're givers, we're being like our Heavenly Father. I want to ask you this morning, are you guilty of breaking this commandment in any way? Lay down all of the rationalizations. Are you breaking this commandment? If so, repent and turn to the Lord. Are you being fair with your employees if you're a boss? Are you stealing 
from the company that you work for in some of these subtle ways that I mentioned? Do you falsify your expense reports? If you're guilty of any of these ways, I'm going to invite you to spend a few moments this morning getting right with God and then go out this week and do something about it if you've wronged somebody. Most importantly, are you robbing God with your life? Give Him your life. Come to Christ. Surrender everything about your life to Him and say, Lord, I want to use my life and the gifts you've given me to bring glory to you. If you're a thief, I want you to remember a story in the Bible. Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One of them was hurling insults at the Lord. But the other one said, man, what are you doing? We're guilty. This man is not guilty. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? Today, you will be with me in paradise. There is hope for those who steal in Christ. There's hope and forgiveness and eternal life. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord. Once again, we just want to thank you for these commandments and how they speak to our hearts. And Lord, we know that your son is the fulfillment of the law. Only he has kept the law perfectly. For us, the law is like a mirror that we look into and it it exposes our flaws, but it can't fix us. Only faith in Christ can save us. I pray for the one right now that needs to come to Christ that would say, I'm a lawbreaker, I'm guilty, and I've never trusted Christ. Lord, help them to see, help them to understand the hope and the joy and the peace that they can have in Jesus Christ. Lord, for Christians who have perhaps slipped into some of the patterns that I talked about this morning. Lord, maybe they've not even given much thought to it. They've become somewhat numb to it, but as I mentioned some of these things this morning, they would say to you, Lord, I'm guilty. There's change that I need to make in my life. God, surround that person with your your peace and your presence and give them the assurance of your forgiveness. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name.